Right now, in front of our building, unbelievably, this chase in this Amber Alert is going on. It's going right down Market Street. It, pro- uh, it looks like he's just crossing Jefferson yeah, right now on out. Market Street. Oh, this is, this is unbelievable. Sky Fox with Power Cam. Have you noticed, is there another passenger in the car with this person driving? You know, Randy, at this point, we just can't tell. Like I said, they've made so many directional changes. He's trying to get on Highway 40 westbound at um, uh, right at St. Louis University's new uh, arena. And the cops are following him. It was higher speed than it is now, a little earlier. And let's also keep in mind that these roads are slick. Oh, he just missed. They're actually just coming up on Compton right now. They had it right there, right at Compton. So now he's going to try to get westbound on 40. There are cars pulled over to the side of the road. This is Oops. right. Oh, he's coming up to a stoplight now. He's going up over the curb. He's going through traffic. Now he is headed southbound on Compton. Is this Compton now? I believe so, Kevin. Going on the overpass. This guy's running red lights. He's heading southbound on Compton off of Market Street at a very high rate of speed. We're watching this as it goes on right now. This is an amber alert. We believe that this girl was taken, a 14-year-old girl was taken by a guy at knife point earlier this morning in Columbia, Illinois, and the chase is going on right now. There is one police car following this green Toyota Corolla, we believe. Uh, by a man with a knife. Um, and, and apparently this person got into a scuffle with the girl's mother and ended up taking the girl and leaving in the mother's car. car. I was going to say there's only one car, and how come they can't get any of these intersections blocked? I guess they can't... Yeah, the police chief from Columbia, Illinois... They can't really anticipate where he's going, I guess. I guess this is harder than it looks from up here. From you looking down, it looks easy. He's going into the hood here now, so he's going to make a right-hand turn. Oh, looked like he was going to make a right-hand turn around Shoto, I guess. He's heading southbound on Compton, probably, say, a mile or two south of Market Street right now. Apparently are both in the car speeding away, and this is a very dangerous scene we're watching before our eyes. She's got a 14-year-old little girl in here, and you have no idea how this is going to end because this guy is driving as recklessly as you can imagine. It's just like all of these other car chases you see on television, right? They just crossed over 44. So they just crossed uh, over the bridge at 44. Point where we are now? Where uh, they, they are? just crossed I over just told 44. You. Still southbound along Thanks for uh, paying attention. Compton, if it uh, is still called that at this point. Just get out of the way. All right, just made a left-hand turn now, so now he's heading east. Uh, east yeah, on maybe, uh, gosh, Russell maybe? Uh, you know, it could be, Kevin. It's, uh, the, I think uh, that's a good guess. That's probably Russell. Oh, now he just sideswiped a car. Come on, hit him. All right, now the cop is trying to cut him off. Cop's trying to cut him off. Two cops. They've run him off onto a side street. Looks like they're cutting in front of him. They've got him, but now we don't know what's going to happen here because if that little girl's in there, now what happens? We're just watching. Nothing's happening yet. The Oh, he's trying to get out of the car. They have him. On the ground, I think. They have him. He's almost down. I don't think they have him down. Yes, they have him down. They have him down and they have him cuffed. Nice work, guys. Nice work by the St. Louis Police Department. Now, I I think you mentioned this is Columbia, Illinois police taking the driver out of the car. Uh, the one in the lead was Randy. Uh, not quite sure who okay. was uh, trailing. There are three more. Sign of the girl. Do you yeah. see more no than one individual, girl, yeah, John Brubaker? Right. I, you know, it's just too hard to tell uh-huh. right now uh, between all these trees, Randy. I'm trying to jockey around here and get a better shot. I know it's hard through the trees there, but uh, I bet the police are mad that 
yeah, they parked under a tree so the TV yeah, cameras can see. Uh, We're not going away. It's uh, amazing video from Sky Fox this morning. We have not been able to see if there's another person in the car right now. And one of the reasons why is that one of the squad cars is up against the passenger side of the car. So if she was a passenger in that car, we don't see anybody else. We haven't seen anyone going in the car to get her. Right. But you can't see even if there's anybody in there. That's the problem. But you'd think if there was a person in there, that there would be officers going into that car. You would think. You know what I noticed, JC? They're getting him up off the ground. What? There's not a lot of traffic in downtown St. Louis. Well, they had people pulled over to the side of the road. Illinois and allegedly attacked a 14-year-old girl, Brittany Adkins, and then, according to her mother, kidnapped the young girl and then sped away. Now, at this point, we just see him. But we have not seen any sign of her. Let's go back up there and see if maybe she's... There is a there young lady she there. Is. Well, there she right. is. She's just gotten out of the car. Appears or at least okay. the, the young woman who we think is Brittany Atkins. Seems she to fit the description. To be, I would imagine um, shaken up, but she yeah, seems she's to be talking. in decent shape. Just looking she's at standing her, uh, and she does not appear injured in any way. Police, police, well, yeah. Very yeah. upset. Police are talking to her right now and that's all we can really tell. Again, this young woman's mother told police that she did not know the young man who she says attacked her daughter about 5.30 this morning and then kidnapped her. But we don't know at this point whether the young girl, this 14-year-old girl, actually knew the young man or not. There's uh, some, been some discussion about that. got his hey, hand John, on her shoulder. Exactly seems to be. Where you are, where this, uh, where this Great job ended? by the police, man. Great yeah. job. Well, I'll tell you what, Randy. Uh, but again, a lot of luck involved, too, in terms of yeah, there not accident. being a, yeah. a head-on collision or a... That south, one uh, just yeah. missed. He went through a red light, and the just missed being broadsided. Thinking, this could have had a very different ending, but good job by the police. Russell and Longfellow, and of course, that's the Compton Heights area. Some very, very nice homes in that area of the city of St. Louis. And obviously some very scary times for this young lady uh, who we well, think she is looks like she is physically fine, as Laurie pointed out. You don't have any idea what the emotional aspect of this whole thing is or what the backstory is on it, but at least that thing ends a lot better than it could have. Mm-hmm. She could have been injured. They both could have been killed. Everybody, I mean, you could have had multiple injuries, fatalities, all sorts of stuff, and man, what an, what an amazing scene. That thing went right past the front of our building. Yeah, mm-hmm. We picked it up just at the end of that Beatles parody thing that we were playing, and um we saw it up on the screen, and just as it was going through downtown St. Louis, right down Market Street, went right past the front of the building here at Union Station. And that's where you sort of picked it up. And uh, amazing scene being played out this morning here. All right. Looks like this one ended a lot better than it could have. Yay. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Yeah. God. No, I'm just getting warmed up. Happy to see you again. Don't be nervous. Don't be rocky. You're a teenage guest of Chucky now. And let me begin by wishing you a beautiful look. Did that voice inside you say, I've heard it all before. It's like deja vu all over again. It is Monday, October 2nd, 2023, and you... All right, jconthewine.com. Sorry about the vocal quality. I'm seeing two different doctors this week. They're going to do a scope. They're digging around down there, going to try to figure out what is wrong. 
This is almost two months now. I've been battling this, and I'm sort of out of ideas, so we're letting the doctors take over. Put that scope down your throat, and there's really unpleasant-looking stuff down there. Actually, when you get inside the human body, there's nothing that's really too particularly attractive, is there? But especially the mouth and the throat. That's ugly in there. Frankly, did you ever see, you know, the results of a colonoscopy? That looks like a lot friendlier territory than your throat. It isn't, but I'm just saying visually, it looks pretty good, especially after you have to do the clean-out process the night before. Man, oh man. I was just at the doctor last week. He gave me one of these Cologuard things. The box shows up. I think you're supposed to poop in the box and send it back to them, and they tell you if you've got anything. Good gig. So like to get up every morning, have your bacon and eggs, shower, shave, get yourself dressed, knowing that you're going to get to the office, and all day long, you're just going to be opening boxes of poop. can always be worse. It can always be worse than what you're experiencing right now. When I started in St. Louis back in the spring of 1984, there were a lot of people, we're all approximately the same age. I was about 30, 31 at the time. And all these people who worked in the restaurant business up and down Watson Road might be working on Saturday morning. Back in those days, they made me work six days a week, and I hated working on Saturday morning. But I got up and I came in, and people would be getting off work at six because they'd been working on the all-night cleanup crew and stuff like that. And they would bring me food, and we would just sort of hang out. And one person who would come by periodically was named Teresa. And she was a sort of a tiny brunette with a camera that was bigger than she was. Now, we let Terry into the building at all hours of the day and night because she was cute and she was interesting. By the way, she got somebody else's boobs. Somewhere there's some poor girl walking around going, what happened? I didn't get any boobs. Well, Teresa got all of them. That's another way to get into a radio station, by the way look like that. But uh, anyhow, Teresa was a very accomplished photographer and because she looked the way she did and she was nice and she was just personable and, and also a very good photographer, she would get into concerts. I don't know. I don't even think Teresa had like press credentials or anything, but she just talked a good game and people used to let her in and take these amazing pictures. And a lot of times she would bring them by to show me. So, you know, we're talking like 84, 85, 86 here. Fast forward now to 2017. Terry has moved to Los Angeles. I think I'd gotten one message from her in like 30 years, but I'm sitting around. It's about one o'clock in the afternoon on this date back in 2017. And we start to get word that something has happened to Tom Petty and that he's been taken to Cedar sinai the big hospital in Los Angeles. And for hours, we were sort of on edge because all we know there was that he collapsed. They took him to the hospital and we didn't know anymore. We didn't have any more details. So on social media, I get a message from Teresa, and she says, he's gone. I'm like, who's gone? She says, Tom Petty. I'm like, how would you know? She goes, I'm standing outside of his hospital room right now. Unbeknownst to me, she had uh, you know, won the good graces of Tom Petty's entourage and was good friends with all of these people. And so that when Petty was taken to the hospital, everybody sort of descended on Cedar sinai including her. And she was standing right outside the door and said, yeah, it's all these stories about you know him being in stable condition or we don't know his condition, whatever. It's just, no, he's gone. 
he passed. I said, you know that unequivocally. She's like, I'm standing right here. And so I went on the air with it and immediately interrupted normal programming on the station I was at at the time and went on the air with like an hour or two of Petty and just told everybody we were the first radio station in the world to have that confirmed information. Sometimes you just have to be lucky. And uh, one of the nice things about it, though, is it uh, rekindled my relationship with Teresa. And now we talk all the time. She's always filling me in on stuff. And she's right there in the heart of the music scene in Southern California. And it's great to have her aboard and to show the amateurs up and down the radio dial, including that one station that would have you believe that they invented rock and roll radio. It's nice to remind them. They're not the bee's knees after all. Apparently, I'm not the only one with voice issues. Aerosmith's farewell tour is postponed to sometime next year because of Steven Tyler's vocal injury. I worry about this Stevie Nicks show. We're going to see her in about four weeks in Savannah, Georgia, about a five and a half hour drive from where we are, my daughter's 14th birthday. She is channeling Stevie Nicks pretty much 24 hours a day, trying to do her hair like her, knows every Stevie Nicks Fleetwood Mac song, is just going to lose her shit on November 1st when we are in Savannah seeing this show. I remember when she was put on vocal rest for something like three months. And this is somebody who sings like a goat already. It's a good goat. I love Stevie Nicks. I love her voice. But the woman sings like a goat. Just happens to be a very musical goat. But three months, three months. Something I learned last week, by the way, they say that whispering actually is rougher on your throat and your vocal cords than normal speaking. And it has something to do with the way you have to strain to whisper. You know, it's good to be around a doctor once in a while when you're having a problem because they tell you all the stupid stuff you're doing. Well, I'll be on vocal rest, but I'll just whisper. No, that's worse. I drink cranberry juice. Don't do too much of that. It's got acid in it. It'll uh, damage your vocal cords. All right, how about lemonade? No, that's even worse. What can I drink? Water and tea. But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions are happening one month from tomorrow. And it's not just musicians, it's actors, it's performers. Every once in a while you get somebody like Sally Field who goes out there and gives her famous speech. You like me, you really like me. Most of the time, especially musicians, they try to act really cool even when they win a major award or like when they're inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But that uh, trying to act cool thing goes away really fast. I've talked to a couple of different people on the air about being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they will tell you it is one of the most memorable nights of their lives. And they sort of drop all the pretense, try to soak it all in, try to enjoy it as much as possible. It's part of the conversation we had couple of years back with Bob Seger. What was that all that like? Well, it was a tremendous night. You know, a, a lot of my heroes, I mean, almost all of them were there. I loved going in with Stevie Winwood. You know, I, I, I was singing his songs when I was really young. Don Henley, my friend, was there. That was great. Uh, Kid Rock inducted me, you know, another good friend of mine. Um, uh, you know, Mick Jagger, Keith Richard, you know, Prince. I mean, it, it, Jackson Brown was there. We were talking for a while, and, and uh, Jackson and Bruce and I were talking, and it was just a wonderful night. You know, and my family was there. And uh, that's, a, that's a very interesting list of performers, and it makes me wonder what qualities in a performer or a human being makes you want to be the guy's friend. And, and similarly, 
what about some uh, performer in the music business would you not sort of want to be interested in hanging out with? Well, I don't think I've ever met anybody that I, I didn't like. Musicians are kind of like a breed, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We all empathize with one another, you know, and, and we know what it takes to get up there and, and bring it off, as it were, you know? So um, I, I, maybe one or two years ago that I didn't care for for one reason or another, but very few. I mean, we used to open for Kiss. I got along with those guys great. <laughs> and uh, BTO, when we opened for them, and when we opened for Aerosmith in the early 70s, they all treated us great. I can tell you a story. There was a great writer. His name was Timothy White, and unfortunately he's passed away. Uh, a great rock writer for Rolling Stone. And, he, and, and remember when he, uh, when he met me, he was very nervous. And, and after a couple hours, he was fine. He said, man, I, he said exactly what you just said. He said, I, I thought you'd be this big, tough guy, you know, from, from the Motor City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're like, hey, wait a minute. No, that's Nugent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, you know, the way I am. I, I Way back in the 80s, uh, uh, the early 80s, when Sparky Anderson was, was managing the Tigers, he was kind of having a little trouble with Kirk Gibson, who was a pretty gruff guy, and Kirk was really short with the fans. And I remember Kurt telling me this story that Sparky told him. It's the easiest thing in the world to be nice to people. You know what I mean? And I sort of tried to live my credo by that. That's funny. Uh, uh, Jim Palmer told me something that Reggie Jackson had said to him. He says it takes just as long to be nice to somebody as it is to be snotty to him. And that's sort that's of a exactly variation right. of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it, it's so much easier to be nice, you know? And um, I just thought that was a great line when Kirk told me that. Boy, I enjoyed those conversations with Bob Seeger. And speaking of maladies... And we seem to be doing that, not only my own, but other performers. Bruce Springsteen had to postpone the rest of his tour. He's got a peptic ulcer. And especially at 74, that's not a good thing to have. It was back in 80 or 81. Eric Clapton spent something like six months in a Minneapolis hospital. He had a perforated ulcer and almost died. Almost died a couple of times during that thing. I'm not saying Springsteen is facing a you know life-threatening situation i'm just saying you know you're 74 the rules change a little bit when you get something that when you're 34 might not be that much of a threat but at 74 could be you know all the way back in 1984 when i first got to st louis i'd gotten yeah, a lot of you will remember this i got my hands on an actual hard copy i mean we didn't have any computers or anything like that back in 84 but i'd actually got a physical copy of the contract writer for joe walsh now everybody knows about the contract sign the contract okay here's how much money you're going to get here's the night you're going to be there it's just all the nuts and bolts but then you have the contract writer which is depending on the act a thing that is stapled to the contract and that's all the stuff about the brown m&ms and all that sort of stuff and that's legendary but the truth of the matter is the contract writers often are pretty bizarre. For example, we got a hold of Springsteen's tour rider. It calls for six bottles of quality beer, that's in quotes, that are not Budweiser. That's also in quotes. So he hates Budweiser so much, he specifically said no Budweiser. Bruce himself also requires chicken soup with lots of broth before the show. After it, he wants 16 cold, fresh shrimp with homemade seafood sauce and two bags of rolled gold pretzels with no substitutions. Now, let me tell you something. I go through pretzels 
like to the point where I leave Costco and they're like, are you having a party? I'm like, no, this is how many pretzels I eat. So I eat a lot of pretzels, but I can't imagine eating two bags after one concert in one sitting. He also needs hand-squeezed lemon juice, six hard-boiled eggs with the yolks removed, peeled and sliced apples, and cubed watermelon. Also, a massage therapist and a manicurist who can do, quote, a man's and a woman's acrylic nail work. Patty's like, hey, hey, you're not getting everything here. Some of the stuff's got to be for me. Now, it should also be pointed out that Springsteen, just late last week, announced the cancellation of the remainder of his tour because he's not healthy right now, which means somewhere backed up in the supply chain, there's lots of fresh shrimp, pretzels, and cubed watermelon. That's all going to go bad. Somewhere in my archives, I have Mariah Carey's contract writer, too, and she's such a fucking diva. I have a very close friend who worked with her on the VH1, I think it was actually called Divas. Yeah, it was the VH1 Divas series, and the production was backed up seven or eight hours because she kept changing her jeans. She'd go out there, sing a song, and go, I don't know, I just don't like these jeans. Go back, and they'd have to redo the whole thing, and she'd spend an hour getting ready in her trailer. She'd get her freaking jeans on. She's fucked up. You know, she's got a great Christmas song, but she's fucked up. Lottery swells to over a billion dollars again. It's really bad when you buy like $20 worth of tickets, and you get up on Sunday morning, and you look, and not one number matches what you have not one it's taylor swift travis kelsey thing completely out of control totally out of control although i think it's interesting that they caught him leaving her apartment at 11 o'clock in the morning yesterday travis kelsey has publicly stated that he has very little use for women who do not uh, shall we say enjoy providing oral pleasure which is a fancy way of me wondering out loud, I wonder if she was blowing him all Saturday night. Shit will make you weak in the knees. And by the way, we got to do something about the NFL kickoffs. You know, here it is on Monday, and people start looking at the Vegas line going, okay, what are my bets going to be for this weekend? Look at these matchups, and look at this, the over-under, and the whole thing. They're all excited, and then you get closer and closer, and then by Friday, you're thinking, okay, i got to go to Costco and get all these wings and beer because we're having guys over to the house, and then it's Saturday, and you're like, I'm watching these fucking college games. That's not what I want. I want real football. I want professionals. It's tomorrow. It's only 24 hours away. You can't sleep the night before. If it's a really big game, you get up. On Sunday morning, raring to go, the smoker is going, the grill is going, your friends start showing up, everybody's all dressed up in football jerseys, the women even put that black shit under their eyes because they want to get into it too. What's with these fucking hour-long pregame shows? Come on, let's get the ball in the air, let's get the ball in the air, and finally, here it is, it's game time. Hello again, everybody, we got a tremendous matchup here. Here's the opening kickoff. Boom, touchback, bring it out, and start the game. What an anticlimactic way of fulfilling a you know a cure to all that anxiety and all that excitement. And here it is, and here's the kickoff, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's not going anywhere. Now, I understand why they're doing it, because too many guys are getting hurt, because the players are getting too big and too fast, and you start, you know, throwing giant 250-pound slabs of meat at one another, and, uh, you know, there's just, you know, bones and blood and tendons and all sorts of body parts getting sprayed all over the field. So, I mean, I understand why, but they got to come up with a better idea because this business of starting the game and it's just like, all right, here we go. There's the kickoff. Uh, 
nothing's happening. It's bouncing around in the end zone. That's a stupid way to start a sporting event. You imagine every time you started an NBA game, the ref threw the ball in the air and it just rolled out of bounds. I can't even think of anything that lame that could even apply to a baseball game. What could you do to start a baseball game that would be as lame as the way the NFL does kickoffs? I can't even think of anything. And by the way, I want to, you know, Chris Collinsworth, I don't know, people pick on him too. I just think it's one of those deals. My dad used to say, the higher up you are on the ladder, the more of your butt is exposed. And my dad didn't swear. I never heard my dad's cursing ability. I don't think he had any. Not one fuck, not one shit, a couple of goddams and some hells. That was usually directed at Republican (laughs) politicians in Chicago. But other than that, no, he never swore once. That's why I'm making up for all that stuff he missed. But anyhow, I I think he's right. I think it's a good saying. It's a good rule of thumb. You know, it's just something to keep in the back of your head. The higher up you are on the ladder, the more of your butt is exposed. And I think Chris Collinsworth, you know, it's one thing to do it well. It's another thing to do that job well after like, what has he been doing it, 40 years now? That's not easy. But he said something yesterday. He said, the Kansas City Chiefs find a way to have fun. They make up stuff on the fly. Not every play, but they know that if they're up against the situation where it's like, okay, if we just improvise a little bit here, coach is not going to take our heads off and we may score if we do this. So they make things up. They do things on the fly. What a great environment to be in, especially with football coaches, which are not, you know, it's like working in the confines of the military. But corporations have taken the fun out of lots of jobs and lots of industry. And it's not just me complaining about the radio business. I talk to everybody about their jobs. You know, people have been doing the same job 30, 40 years. They're all just with their heads hung down. Like, yeah, they've pretty much ruined everything. This job used to be fun. Think the jobs, for example, let's just say the Cardinals. Ideal job, right? I know so many people who are just miserable there because the culture is just dry. You know, say what you want about the DeWitts. They're millionaires many times over. They own a very successful baseball franchise, but they're not dynamos. And it all starts from the head and sort of works its way down. And I'm not saying running something like that is easy. It's probably very, very difficult. You know, just on on a game day, there's like between two and 3,000 people showing up at Bush Stadium for work. Between two and 3,000. That includes everybody from the groundskeepers to the vendors to the people who run the scoreboard, the guy who plays the organ, the ushers, security, people in the office in tickets and sales and group sales. Guy whose job is to turn on the lights, the people who work on the perimeter of the stadium. So sometimes they cancel a game because of bad weather and people are like, I can get there. The players can get there. They all have SUVs. That's not the issue. It's the thousands of stadium workers that are all necessary. You can't play a baseball game without also running a stadium. Somebody told me once that just turning on the lights at Bush Stadium, just to turn them on, $10,000. And I asked one of the uh, very, very high up stadium uh, Cardinals hierarchy once. I said, is that true? He said, that sounds about right. So you got all that stuff going on, and it's, I guess, easy to understand how, in an environment like that, the fun can come out of it. Spam, 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 spam. Telemarketers, I don't know how they do it. 
I don't know how they get my number, but you know, I talk to physical therapists, people who've been doing the job 30, 40 years, and they're like, oh, you know, I start working on somebody in the little, you know, behind the little curtain, and I get them going, and it's like, okay, now you do your reps. While you're doing that, I'm going to be in the next cubicle working on another guy. I got two or three people all at the same time. And you know, you know that some bean counter somewhere said, well, if you can handle one patient, certainly you can handle two. And if you can handle two, you can probably handle three all at the same time. Who gets screwed? We do. But, you know, as it applies to radio, I mean, geez, it's one of the reasons a lot of us got into this business. We didn't want a normal sort of nine to five job, which is why it's so disappointing when, you know, you're working at a station and somebody gets fired or somebody leaves and they bring somebody in and it's somebody so ridiculously uptight. You're like, this is not how you run a productive broadcast operation. These jobs have to be fun. Sometimes I'll hear a radio personality say, yeah, I got to do a shift on Saturday. Well, right there, you got your foot in the bucket. Because if you're going in there thinking to yourself, I'm pulling a shift, like you're working at the Costco fulfillment warehouse, or you're out in Wentzville working at the GM plant, not that there's anything wrong with those jobs, but if you're on the radio, you are performing. You are doing a show. And if you show up there thinking to yourself, I got to pull a shift, boom, right there, that tells me you don't belong in the business. But the other people who don't belong in the business are the program directors and the managers who try to control and intimidate everybody. Back in the 90s, there was a guy by the name of Jim Owen, and he was the program director at Casey. And this guy ran the radio station like the warden in the Shawshank Redemption. And everybody in the entire place was like, why did they bring this motherfucker in here? This guy walks around, you know, practically with a bullwhip, just looking to smack or crack somebody. People were writing anonymous letters to the president of the company. People were quitting. But before they quit, they would go into the general manager's office and sit down and tell the boss the reasons why they were quitting and the reason was always this guy. So the radio station's losing quality people and everybody knows the reason why, but it took them years to figure it out. And this guy even came after me because I was uh, doing the morning show, the old breakfast club on the old classic rock station, 93.7 KSD. And when they made the announcement in the trade papers that he was coming in, I looked and I saw that he was from Grand Rapids. He had been working in Grand Rapids for 10 years. And I went on the air and said, well, you can tell he's good because he's coming in after 10, <laughs> after 10 years in Grand Rapids. And apparently he heard that or heard about it, lost his shit, and sent me like a, uh, uh, it was supposed to be a, like a voodoo doll of me, all dismembered. He sent it in a box. And with stuff like that, you yeah, we don't get that stuff anymore. But back in the day, you would get boxes of stuff. And I would always go open it outside. I'd make an intern open it outside. So I never even saw it. They just came in and told me what it was. So I never even saw the thing. But this guy was such a psycho. And then we had a woman come into the river. And I won't say her name because she hasn't bothered anybody for a long time. But back then, we're talking uh, mid-90s, she was not one of those people who had a reputation for just walking around like a high school principal with a switch, just ready to smack somebody. But then, like, you would get really good bosses. Bill Bolster 
Some of you will even remember that name. Back in the heyday of Channel 5, this was when you could combine all of the ratings for all of the other stations, combine them, and it still wouldn't equal what Channel 5's rating was back in the 1980s. And Bill Bolster was the architect of the entire thing. He built it, and then he maintained it. And he was a big guy. He was a big guy. Big Bill Bolster, hog farmer from Iowa. And he could be a little on the gruff side, but... But the people who worked for him saw what he did, saw what he was doing. He was fair, even when he had to you know, come down on you about something. And he did on me two or three times in the five or six years that I was there. And he was pissed. And that upset me because I wanted to make Bill Bolster feel like he did the right thing by hiring me. I wanted him to be happy, and I wanted him to be proud of me. So when I would fuck up, it disappointed me. And you think to yourself, shit, I wish that wouldn't have happened. That was a guy like uh, Alan Cohen who ran Channel 4 for decades. And he was a little on the screwy side. There was always some, you know, he was like the Jackie Gleason of television managers. Jackie Gleason was always trying to come up with some get-rich-quick idea. And it was funny because it was comedy. But in the television business, Alan was one of those guys, he wasn't a bad guy, but it was just There was always some new gimmick. There was always a gimmick. Your 24-hour news source, the lightning locator, CompuScore, which was basically a giant computer sitting next to Zipra Zeppa so that if in the middle of his sportscast at 10 o'clock there was a development in a Cardinal game, he'd go, oh, look, the Cardinals just scored. It's on CompuScore. There was always, always something like that going on. But there was one time at Christmas, it was a couple of nights before Christmas, and I was on the 10 o'clock show live on the set because we had some big movie that was coming out and they put me on 10 o'clock to talk about it and they would always run my piece last on the news. So I figured I'm going to have a little fun here. So I went on and I bought two clappers. Clap on, you know, that clap off the clapper. And it was Larry... And Mary, Larry Connors and Mary Phelan. And I gave them each a clapper at the end of my piece for Christmas. And then I said, by the way, we have one that we've hooked up to the TV station. And I had it worked worked out with the director. I said, now, when I do this, when I give you this cue, go to black. So I was like, yeah, we have one of these clappers hooked up to the TV station. I went, here, watch. And the screen went black. And everybody started laughing. And I went. And then the picture returned to the screen. And we had to go, like, da, 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 Channel 4 News, bop, 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 I go back to my desk, phone rings. Hello. The guy at the assignment desk says, it's Alan. He would like to talk to you. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I just started sweating bullets, you know. Like, uh, hello? Yeah, JC? Yeah, this is Alan. Hi, Alan. Hey, that was really good. That was really, really good. I'm really glad I hired you. I'm like, well, thank you, Alan. I hung up and it was like, that was close. I just always assumed they're going to do or say something stupid, just the way things are. And then the best boss I ever had, Spencer Koch at Fox 2. People loved working for this guy. The reason I bring some of this up is the Ollie Marmel situation. Now, the season ended for the Cardinals yesterday. Obviously, I don't know how. I, how can I follow two teams all year long and neither one of them make it into the playoffs? For Christ's sakes, I don't ask for that much. 
But Ollie's already saying, yeah, we've got uh, you know people in the clubhouse that aren't giving 100%. We're going to get rid of all of them and blah, 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 blah. Well, I don't know. I mean, you could make the argument that maybe that's what the Cardinals need is somebody being more of a disciplinarian if that's the problem. I don't think it is. I don't think John Mazalak and the Duets spent enough money in the offseason and, and primarily didn't get us enough pitching. Now, if you have problems on top of that, sure, you got to fix them. Some of that is a software problem. I think we're dealing with a couple of hardware problems, if you know what I mean. But but really interesting comment from Collinsworth last night talking about how much fun the Kansas City Chiefs are having. They're having fun playing a game. Imagine that. Guys in their 20s are having a good time playing a game. It's so simple. It's such a simple idea, and still there's people who don't get it. All right, I'm pissed that none of my teams is in postseason play, but I am elated that they got this thing worked out, and the late-night TV talk shows are back starting tonight. Actually, Bill Maher started Friday night, and John Oliver started last night, but the weeknight ones, they all come back tonight. Matthew McConaughey, John Mayer, on with Jimmy Fallon. Colbert's got Neil deGrasse Tyson, or Negrassi Tyson, as Paige Halsey said on Channel 4 this morning. And uh, Seth Meyers' closer look, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jason Isbell, the 400 unit on with Jimmy Kimmel. They're all back tonight. Only thing put the smile on my face here this morning. All right, that's it. Jason Carkin podcast for Monday, October 2nd, 2023 is in the can. We are here every Monday through Thursday at 11 o'clock at jconthelinecom but you know that. But do your friends and your family members and your co-workers know it? We ask that you share the information and remind them I'm on the air every weekday morning from 530 to 10 on Rocket Americana, K-Wolf, 101.5 St. Louis, 101.7 West and Beyond, streaming at kwolf.com. You can contact me, jc at jconthelinecom That's email, the showgram with J.C. Corcoran on Facebook. I can't remember if I mentioned it or not, but the big cool down is coming. Not yet. 90 today, 90 tomorrow. Rain on Wednesday and Thursday. When you get up Saturday morning, 45 degrees. Won't get out of the 60s on Saturday. I know a lot of people are saying about time. That's it. In the meantime, we've beaten this one to death. Have a good one. See you later. Bye. The J.C. Corcoran Podcast.